Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. If you've grown up on the coast, and some of our campuses are down at the coast, you'll realize that during the winter, when you're trying to dry your clothes, you can't just like in Johannesburg hang them up. They don't get dry. In fact, you need to use a tumble dryer. And sometimes when you store your clothing after taking it off the line, when you come to actually take them, they've got this like damp smell. Do you know that smell? It doesn't happen on the reef. We're closer to God here and the air is a bit thinner. But down at the coast, whew. And so what you need is, is you need to use your tumble dryer. Aren't you grateful for a tumble dryer? And you, and you actually just throw the clothing into the tumble dryer. And uh, you know, some clothing, you can just chuck it in. You don't have to worry about it. You just throw it in there. Some colors, Shirts, they don't, they don't matter. You just throw them in and it's all good and, 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 and the kids are grateful that they've got T-shirts for the next day. But, but, then, but then you get what's called your delicates. Now, now, ladies know what delicates are. You need a bag for them. And, and, and like your sisters of Africa pants, you, you want them to last. <laughs> they, they can't just be thrown in there because these have got to be put in, you know the underwear bag, the delicate bag, you put it in there. And when you put it in there, it kind of protects it, and, uh, and you zip it up, and there's a zip on you, yeah, you zip it up, and, and then you put that in there, and you close the door, and you put it on. Voila. And the amazing thing about a tumble dryer is it heats the clothing up, and as it heats it up, it dries it out. It heats it up, it dries it out. It heats it up and it dries it out. And then you switch it off and you go into the tumble dryer and you take the clothing out. Now, some of the clothing that you take out, it comes out like, hmm. And, and, and it's just as it was when you put it in. Isn't that true? But then there's some clothing, when you, when you put it in here, um, a problem happens. And let me find that, that bag that I put in here. Can't find that bag. Where's that bag? Let me get some of the clothing out. Get some of the clothing out. Gosh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There it is. Now, some of the clothing, it comes out different. You see the heat. The heat has an impact on it. And, and because of the heat, if you're not careful with your delicates, <laughs> the heat will shrink your delicates. Do you know the Bible refers to trouble in some ways as fire or heat? How many of you know the heat is on at the moment? The heat in our country, the heat in our world, and a lot of people are being reduced by the heat. You can tell what a person's made of when they go through heat. They either come out the same size or they come out shrunken. Now, did you know the devil's goal is to use trouble in the world to shrink you? In fact, the Bible warns us that the trouble we're experiencing at the moment, in fact, worldwide, is, is something that God said would happen. Let me read to you from Matthew 24, verse 21 in the message translation. Speaking of today, it says, this is going to be trouble on a scale beyond what the world has ever seen or will see again. How many feel that that's what's happening in your life? 
And did you know the devil's goal is to shrink us? He brings hardship and puts the heat on in order to shrink us, to reduce us from being effective for God. He did it to Job. He put the heat on Job's finances. He put the heat on Job's family. He put the heat on Job's friends. But Job's faith was not shrunk. Job retained his shape and his size during the heat. I wanna speak to you today on becoming shrink-proof. Becoming shrink-proof. Because the, the, the challenges of life are trying to shrink us. And we need to understand, before we read our key text today across the campuses, that the devil's goal is to shrink us. And if we understand this, we can resist it and we can look to God to keep us from shrinking. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews says, and giving us a warning and encouragement, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. In other words, keep going. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. The Lord's coming back. And then he says again, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. God doesn't like it when you shrink. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. If you're a Rivers Church member, you don't shrink when the heat is on. When you're a man of woman of faith, you don't shrink when the heat is on. You keep your shape, you keep your size. In fact, you grow larger when the heat is on. And like a good metal, you swell up and everything around you is changed by the heat in your life. John Maxwell said, success is due to our stretching to the challenges of life. Failure comes when we shrink from them. So God doesn't want anyone to shrink. He wants us to continually grow. The Bible speaks again about shrinking and it talks about the saints that are gonna be on the earth during the great time of tribulation in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12 and verse 11. Look at their attitude and we need to copy it. They triumphed over him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How I many you know, we, we're gonna stand in the face of challenges. No matter what happens in the country, no matter what happens in the, in the heavenlies, no matter what's happening across the world, we're not gonna be reduced. We're gonna wait for his coming. We're gonna persevere. We're gonna be shrink-proof believers. Can you say amen? Now, not only does the devil wanna shrink us emotionally, shrink our faith, shrink our courage, but he wants to shrink our witness, our ability to speak up. But most people today are shrinking back as Christians. The Apostle Paul, when he went to the church at Ephesus, the Greeks were philosophers. They liked to talk about all sorts of concepts and they had lots of opinions. But in Acts chapter 20, he said this to the elders at Ephesus. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. In other words, when you're having a coffee or when you're on Instagram or Twitter. He says, I spoke the truth. And he says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not afraid of presenting Jesus as savior amidst all the gods and the opinions of the world. He says again, verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. And then he says again, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group 
will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Do you realize that today everyone has an opinion and they want you to shrink back? The devil wants to shrink you through trouble. People want you to shrink back in fear. They want you to be politically correct. How dare you speak about Jesus as the only way? How dare you be so bold as to declare certain things concerning abortion or sexuality? Where do you come on that? And the tendency is to just keep quiet. Paul says, I never shrank back because the devil's goal is to shrink us. And we've got to know what we believe. We've got to stand up. Priscilla, Priscilla Shira is a, uh, speaker and author, we have visited her father's church in America, and uh, she said this, and I think it's an important thing in light of what I've said. She said, now is the time more than ever to fortify our spiritual backbone, to know what we believe, to be in the word of God so that we can stand firm on truth that we actually know, not that we've just heard through the grapevine. Too many people are basing their lives on grapevines, social media, instead of believing what they know to be the truth, and they're not shrinking back. Now, we need to deliver truth with grace, but we need to say, sorry, we're not going to shrink back in a company where the majority believe a certain thing. We're going to, this is what the Bible says. This is how we live. Because if the enemy can shrink your faith, and he can shrink your courage, he'll shrink your witness. And we've got to be people that are shrink-proof. How many of you know we can't change the culture around us easily, but we can change ourselves? And John Maxwell put it like this. Let me read this before we get to our key text today. He put it like this. He says, you don't overcome challenges by making them smaller, but by making yourself bigger. You see, God wants you to be shrink-proof, then he wants to enlarge you through Christ, through the word, so there's the troubles in the world like we've never seen before increase, we just continually get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we walk in victory. Can you say amen? Now, some 18 months or two years ago, I spoke on a passage from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, where David faced a challenge with his family at Ziklag, and I felt as reading it again that God quickened this word to me for today, because I, as I read it, I felt, this is South Africa right now. And I want to read what he faced because he faced emotional upheaval. He faced the, the, the pressure of being shrunk because there was heat and there was, there was negativity. And, and I wanna read it because I think we can draw some things out of it. And when we've read it, I'll give you four things that we can do to be shrink-proof. Are you ready? So 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse one, it says, this is after David had been out away from home. He comes back to his camp and it says, David and his men reached Siglag on the third day now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Siklag. They had attacked Siklag and burnt it, much like they're burning tires in South Africa again at the moment, and had taken captive who? The women. How many of you know the women in South Africa feel like they're being taken captive? And all who were in it, both young and? You can't even go to a restaurant and lose sight of your child in case they become prey. We're living in dangerous times. Can you say amen? And it says here, they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives, sons, and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud. They didn't just snivel. They wept aloud until they had no strength left 
to weep. Let me just pause here. These are the mighty men that are recorded in the Bible where one could strike down 800, where they never gave up until they defeated the enemy. They were giant killers. But here we find the circumstances, the fire and the pressure so severe that these men are crying out loud even though they are listed as mighty men. How many know this is serious, serious pressure? And we can relate to this because many people in the room feel like this. It says David's two wives had been captured, Ahinam of Jezreel, Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit, or bitter in spirit, because of his sons and daughters. Do you know in South Africa, if you're not careful, you can become extremely bitter. Bitter about what you didn't get. Bitter how the country's going. Bitter about people are treated. Bitter about the way women are treated. Bitter how the government behaves. Bitter about the fraud. We can't afford to be bitter. We've got to come bigger. Because bitterness shrinks you. And it takes out of you. You weep until you've got nothing left. And the enemy then shrinks you. But God says, no, no matter what the heat is, we've got to become bigger. Now notice what David did. He didn't shrink. It says, then David said to Abiata, sorry, let me pick it up. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Isn't that a great phrase? But David found strength in the Lord his God. How? Then David said to Abiata the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. That was the vest that they wore, the high priest with the black stone and the white stone, and they would seek God's uh, voice. They'd try and get direction. And uh, I love what it says here. Abiata brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. How many know when you come to church and you consult the word of God and your priest, if you like, the man of God or the, the leader is teaching, you get an I can spirit. And you begin from your shrinking during the week, you begin to enlarge again. And you say, we could do it. We can win. That's why it's so important to be in church. It says, then David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine where some stayed behind. Wow, how many? 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. So here we see one third of the people with David were too exhausted to keep going and we'll come back to it. Now they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They're looking for the, where the enemy is, and there's just this stranger. How many of God's got the answer? In, when you're looking for solutions, when you decide to win, he's got the keys. They're not there blatantly, but there's a key there if you look. And they find this Egyptian, and they give him water to drink and food to eat, a part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, to whom do you belong? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. Whenever you serve the devil, two things. You become a slave and he discards you. So don't even go there. Just keep serving the Lord. You say, it's so hard. No, no, it's harder serving the devil because he makes you a slave and he abandons you. Now that he tells David, we raided the Negev of the Kerithites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling. 
because of the great amount of plunder they'd taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. I love this. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, 36 hours, and none of them got away. I can see this in a movie, except 400 men who rode off on camels and fled. You can kind of see them. God gave them victory. And after weeping until they could weep no more, they were able to fight for 36 hours. It's amazing the challenges you can face when you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And the scripture says here that David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. God's the God of restoration. David brought everything back and he took all the flocks and the herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying, this is David's plunder. Victory, celebration. You know what? David didn't resort to doing what most people do. He didn't point fingers at his men like his men pointed fingers at him. He didn't blame his men like his men blamed him. He didn't resort to getting bitter and negative and talking negative. He strengthened himself in the Lord and he got up and won a victory for the entire party and won a victory for his personal life as well. I wanna give you four things this morning from this that can enable us to become shrink proof. Are you ready? On all the campuses this morning, number one, let circumstances develop you instead of defeat you. Circumstances will either develop you or they will defeat you. If you put certain clothing into a tumble dryer, some clothing shrinks, other clothing comes out the same. The sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The boiling water that makes the potato soft hardens the egg. It really depends what you're made of as to how you go through the heat of circumstances. And you are challenged when you go through circumstances because you get shown who you are. It's interesting that in America when you face trouble, you know what most people do? They run off to what's called a shrink. With all respect to the medical profession, I believe Christians should be able to strengthen themselves in the Lord their God. Even when you've wept until you can weep no more, even when everyone's against you, when fires destroyed your family and you're feeling like you're left with nothing, you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God and circumstances will develop you or they'll defeat you. You see, the thing about circumstances is they show you who you are and then teach you that you still need to grow. Most farmers sort their potatoes before market. They spread them on a table and they go through them and select the large, the medium, and the small. And then they package them and then they send them to market, either in boxes or in packets. But one particular farmer that I read about, he did not sort his potatoes before market. He sorted them on the way to market. He'd fill a massive trailer with all the potatoes. Then he'd join it up to his tractor or his truck and he'd take those potatoes on the worst possible road that he could find to market. And as he went to market with the potatoes, the potatoes would shake. And as they shook along the road, the big ones went to the top. The medium ones went to the middle and the small ones went to the bottom. And as he went along the road, the big ones went to the top and the medium ones went to the middle and the small ones went to the bottom. And as we go along the road in South Africa, if you're big, you'll end up at the top, but if you're not, you'll end up at the bottom. Maybe I should ask you this morning, what kind of potato are you? Because circumstances reveal to us who we are. 
In fact, the Bible says this in the book of Proverbs chapter 24, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Heat and shakings reveal to us how much we still need to grow. And we can't rely on past experience. We've got to go to God and look to him daily. Washington Irving is an author and historian. He said, little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune, but great minds rise above it. And we've got to let God bring the circumstances. We can't expect him to take them away. We've got to let him bring them because God uses them to develop us. Bear in mind, David at this point was not king yet. This prepared him to sit on a throne one day where he wouldn't just sipping martinis on a throne. He would be running an entire nation and he would face challenges of every kind. And he would remember, Ziglag, lost my wife, lost my kids, lost everything. Everything was weak, weak and win. And God uses these things to develop us. And we need to remember, we, we keep praying, oh Lord, take it away. He says, no, no, it's gonna get worse. You need to get bigger. And I wanna remind you, the Bible says in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, something bigger. But we all want it easier. Lord, take it away. No, let it develop you. Jim Rohn, the business teacher, said this. He said, don't wish easier, wish you were better. When you become better, it will naturally become easier. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. See, everyone is wishing that this country could be better. When's the government gonna do this? And when's this gonna happen? And when are we gonna have that? And we're all getting bitter about it instead of looking at what there is and saying, despite this, I'm gonna become developed. I read about a Kenyan, a man called Julius Yego. He's a javelin thrower and uh, he won silver in the 2016 Olympics. Pretty amazing feat. But he also won gold in China. He then came first in the All Africa Games in the javelin, and he holds the record for the fourth best distance throw of a javelin of all time. Well, they wanted to interview him. How amazing. You come from Kenya. Can we meet your coach? He said, I have no coach. YouTube is my coach. When he was just 14 or 13, he wanted to be a javelin thrower, so he went on YouTube and he watched javelin throwers. Then he'd put it on pause and he'd go outside and he'd practice and, he'd, and he wouldn't get it. Then he'd go back and he'd replay and YouTube became his coach. You see, he didn't say, my country doesn't have a sports budget. My country's deprived. My country's third world. When is my government gonna send me to the Olympics? He found a way to develop himself <laughs> instead of becoming bitter. We're in danger in our nation of becoming bitter over everything. And tears are being shed by women and there's no strength left, but we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God. And we need to develop ourselves, not be defeated. Number two, is this helping anyone this morning? Don't look at what life is doing, look at what God is doing. The more you look at what life is doing, the greater your distress will be. You see, David took his eyes off the circumstances and began to focus on what God could do to deliver him. The more you look at the negativity, the more the devil can use it to shrink you. Look what you've lost. Look how bad it is. I know we've got people in our church who work for the media, and this is in no way disparaging, but I have to say this. I believe that when you watch the news broadcast, you, you watch what Satan's doing in the world. 
The news glorifies what the devil's doing. That's why it's always negative. And then you get to the end and there's a little bit of sport as if to make up for it. Now, when I watch it, I find it's ridiculous. I'm like, could we just not watch the sport? Because this is enough to destroy people's morale. One by one, we go through all the things that are happening. And then they go, and in international news, as if we haven't had enough. See, it glorifies what the devil's doing. But the word of God glorifies what God is doing. And often we don't go and look at what God's doing. God is still working, even though the world is in a mess. And you need to remember that. Some of us on the campuses today, we feel like we've been shrunk and, 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 and we're crying out in misery. But I'm telling you, it's because of what you're feeding yourself. It's because of what you're looking at. And even great, strong people have been deeply affected by focusing on what the devil's doing instead of focusing on what God's doing. And Peter looked at the wind and the waves and what happened? He began to shrink back and he began to sink. Isn't that true? And we need to realize the devil is, a, is not only a master of deception, but he's a master of distraction. He gets us to look at what he's doing. And then we become discouraged. And uh, we go from faith to fear. And if you've been watching the, the, the trends lately on social media, you'll see a number of prominent Christians have shrunk from their faith. Have you all seen that? People like Joshua Harris, people like Marty Sampson, songwriter for Hillsong, declared he no longer believes. Rob Bell, once the leader of Mars Hill Church, great student ministry. And then Dan Barker, these people are among many others. And when you read it, you think, oh gosh, this is the last days. This is what happens, oh my. No, 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 this is not new. This happened to prominent people even in the Bible. It happened to John the Baptist. He started to look at what the devil was doing instead of what God was doing. Look at his early life here, and he was a cousin of Jesus. Just a couple of months apart, John chapter one, verse 29, Jesus comes on the scene, and it says the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Declaration. Notice this. This is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize, speaking of God, with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Again, he says, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. How many know he's pretty emphatic? He knows whom and whom he believes. This is Messiah. This is my cousin. Man, I know the bloke. But they were riding high. One year later, John is put in prison and Herod is keeping him captive there and John has lost touch with what God is doing in the earth. I want you to notice he sends his disciples and this is what happens. Whenever you lose sight of what God's doing, you will start to ask strange questions of the Bible and of church. Is, is it really, you know, isn't it just about the money as the devil loves to get you to do? Isn't it just about the pastor? It's just about big churches. It's just a, no, no, he wants you to ask strange questions because you're looking at what the devil's doing instead of at what God's doing. Now notice he sends his disciples in Luke's gospel. John's disciples told him about all these things. In other words, what they'd seen Jesus do. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask. Look what he asks. Are you the one? I thought he said this is the one. But now he asks, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Is South Africa the place or should we look for another country? It's very quiet on these Methodist campuses this morning. 
When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied, I want you to notice the reply to his cousin. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. He didn't say, I'm sorry, man. Just you in prison, eh? Hey, my bra, you some money. Just hang in there. There was no sympathy. There was no shame. He pointed John to what God was doing in the earth. You need to see what God's doing in South Africa in the midst of the chaos. Because he never stops working even in wartime. Now watch, this is what Jesus said. He says, tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's what God's busy doing. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed is the one who is not shrunk by what he sees, but he realizes even though he might be in personal circumstances that are difficult, God is still working and God is still operating and families are being healed, lives are being delivered. God is still at work. Don't measure your life by the economy or politics of a country. Measure them by the kingdom of God and he who sits on the throne. Then you won't be easily shrunk, but it's where your focus is. You've got to be careful where you look. And the attitude we need to have is the attitude of Sir Edmund Hillary, the great mountain climber who tried to conquer Everest, but he didn't get it right initially. He said this, he said, I will come again and conquer you because as a mountain, you can't grow, but as a human, I can. Come on, church. South Africa can't get any worse. And even if it gets any worse, we're not gonna focus on that. We're gonna focus on growing ourselves and watching what God's gonna do despite the circumstances. Sir Edmund Hillary said this again. He said, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Make sure you look at not what the devil's doing, but at what God's doing if you're gonna become shrink-proof. Are you being helped this morning? Across the campuses, number three. The third thing we need to do to become shrink-proof don't look at the size of the threat. Look at the size of our God. You see, David knew where to find strength. He went to church. He consulted, if you like, the priest, even though we are all believer priests. He consulted the man of God, and if you like, he got guidance. They used the vest in those days, but today we use the word of God. And so he filled himself up on the promises and on the presence of God. And when you put that inside, the size of the threat doesn't become so big because the size of your God fills you. Are you with me? And we need to be filled up with God's word and God's anointing. We don't just need information. We need his presence. That's why it's so important to come during the worship because praise breaks down walls, breaks down barriers, breaks down negativity, builds up faith. How many in the room this morning and on the other campuses, you sang in the meeting when you came in, by the end of the worship, you felt bigger and better? Look at the hands. Something happens, why? Because his promises are sung and his presence like inflates us. And the Bible says in Isaiah, you'll all remember this, the King James says, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. But actually the original language is much more significant. And I want to read it to you in the NIV, the nearly infallible version. <laughs> Isaiah 10, look what it says. 
It says in that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. The word in Hebrew is not fat as on the hips, but shemen, which means the anointing that comes inside and grows you so that the yoke snaps off your neck. The burden you carry, the weights of life, the problems that we see on the news, you get bigger so that when you watch it, it doesn't weigh you down. You're like, sorry, I'm bigger than this. My God is bigger than this. It's not the size of the threat. It's the size of my God. Can you say amen? See, Erwin Litzer explains it like this. He says, God often puts us in situations that are too much for us so that we can learn that no situation is too much for him. Because when he comes in, suddenly you're able to overcome. And this was not David's first battle. This was not the first struggle he faced in his life. He faced Goliath a few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel 17. And every time he developed, you see, because David knew you don't look at the threat, you look at God. Because there was a giant, Goliath. He was bigger than everyone else, but actually he was small on the inside. And there was Israel, the big army, but they all together were small on the inside. But then came along a little boy who was small on the outside, but massive on the inside because he knew he's God. And the threat didn't put him off because he knew my God is bigger than this giant. And when he went and fought at Ziglag, he knew, no, God is on my side. I'm not only fighting for a nation, I'm fighting for my family. And can I say this, church? It's very important that you don't become self-centered in your life where you think, oh, it's very inconvenient. It's so unsafe here. You know, it's not the way it was before. It's so this, it's so that. Don't think of self-interest. Someone's got to build this nation. Let's believe we can build it for the, for the generations to come. David went and rescued his sons and his daughters and his wives, not just for himself, but for the future generations. And when you become self-centered, you become bitter. I love what uh, William Ralph Ng said. He said, he who will live for others shall have great troubles but they shall seem small to him. Sorry, but they shall seem to him small. He who will live for himself shall have small troubles, but they shall seem to him great. You see, it depends on who you are and how you look at things will determine whether you shrink or whether you grow. Number four, the fourth thing this morning is we need to become bigger by surrounding yourself with bigger people. The people that surround you will determine your size. The Bible says the 200 men that were with David, they shrank back, they were exhausted and he left them behind and you've got to be careful that they're not exhausted people around you in your family and your friendship circles that drag you back to bitterness and blaming and finger pointing but they spur you on to chase for all God's got for us as a nation. Brian Tracy said this and he's speaking in a business context but I believe it's true spiritually he said, no one lives long enough to learn everything they need to learn, starting from scratch. To be successful, we absolutely positively have to find people who've already paid the price to learn the things that we need to learn to achieve our goals. That's why you need to be in church, to be with other Christians, so that you can learn how to overcome your challenges. Fellowship is where you get strengthened. And the Bible reminds us here, Ecclesiastes, it says, though one may be overpowered, Two can, I love that, can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need to be with people who strengthen us, who make us better. Don't, don't look for people that, that just go along with everything. 
And then when the pressure's on, they back out. Jim Rohn, another leadership teacher and a business coach, he said this, don't join an easy crowd, you won't grow. Go where the expectations and the demands to perform are high. Rivers Church. You're an average of five people you spend the most time with. You know, a lot of people leave the church, you know why? Because the expectation for excellence is too high. And the human behavior tends down. But if you're gonna be a winner and an overcomer, go where the demand is high because it'll grow you. And you're the total of the five closest people to you. But the Bible says one can be overpowered, two are better than one, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead? He's not an it. And when he dwells in you, strength comes. Do you remember the apostle Peter? He denied the Lord three times, but on the day of Pentecost, he's not intimidated and he doesn't shrink back from declaring the truth in front of thousands. Stephen, he speaks the truth and preaches the gospel of Christ and he can see that they're fuming and they're angry and they start picking up stones. And I wanna to read to you what happened with the Holy Spirit here as we come to a close. Acts 7 and verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to where? Heaven, not at the news broadcast. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit gives us heaven's perspective when we're facing earth's troubles. But you know what most of us do? When we're facing earth's troubles at work, we go home and then we add to it by watching what the devil's doing on the news. Go home and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Come to church, sing, pray in tongues. Let the Holy Ghost come inside you and say, Lord, help me to overcome this negativity, this debt, this economy, these challenges I'm facing, the negative talk of my coworkers. Every time I switch on the news, Lord, look about the country. Lord, help me to see what you're doing. Help me to focus on what you're doing. Help me to believe that we can surely pursue and overcome in Jesus' name. You see, it's the Holy Spirit poured into us that puts us back into the right size again. If you've been shrunk, you need the Holy Ghost. And you know, I was reading about clothing that gets shrunk in the wash. When it comes out small, they say if you get some conditioner, either hair conditioner or skin conditioner, preferably organic, and you wet the garment and you put it on a table and you squirt this conditioner all over it and you rub it into the garment, guess what happens? As the conditioner goes in, the garment gets its size back again. And instead of being shrunk, it can be used again and it's restored. We need some Holy Ghost conditioner squirted on our heads to fill us up again and to give us the strength to overcome because the heat certainly is on in our nation. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.